Our second reading is taken from Matthew 9, verses 9 to 17. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Throughout the Gospels, we hear stories of Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. And as I'm sure we all know by now, the people he calls to follow him are not those that you'd most expect. They're surprising. They wouldn't be everybody's first choice. And today, in this event where Jesus calls Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him, I think it's fair to to say that he wouldn't be anyone's first choice either. Now, up to this point in the book of Matthew, a couple of weeks ago, we had a story of um, the leper, someone who had to ring a bell and say he was unclean to warn people to stay away from him. Someone no one would have been interested in, yet Jesus met him and changed his future. Last week, we spoke of a paralytic, someone who was missing out on life, someone who couldn't join in with everyday activities, who had to sit there and watch life go by around him. Someone who waited for Jesus to meet him, and Jesus met with him and changed his future. And today we have Matthew, a tax collector, and we see how Jesus meets him, invites him to follow him, and changes his future too. He simply says, follow me, and that's exactly what Matthew does. But what was Jesus thinking? He already had a group of people around him who were somewhat questionable. They were a little bit rough around the edges, if we're honest. Surely adding a tax collector to the group was pushing it a little bit. You see, Matthew was a total low life. He really was. He was part of the most despised classes of people in all of Israel. You see, tax collectors in general were the lowest of the law and seen as traitors to the nation. They had a right to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans, and the Romans were the enemy. Tax collectors would collect what was due, and then some. And it's the and then some that people had a problem with. They made money from other people's misfortune, I guess. But by charging people more than they owed, he was ripping them off big time. And I'm sure... Nobody really enjoys paying taxes. I'm sure not a single one of us will put our hand up to that. But imagine if your taxes were going to pay for the work of an enemy nation. 
Add to that fact that you're having to pay way more than you're owed, and you've got some idea about how people felt towards tax collectors. Let's just say they didn't really like them very much. Now, a Jewish, a Jewish tax collector was banned from the synagogue and not allowed to have any contact with his fellow Jews. He was ranked as low as the animals and as low as um, criminals such as murderers or thieves. He was a traitor, absolutely, totally despised, so much so that his word wouldn't even stand up in court because it was worthless. And there were three types of tax collectors, I believe. There were, Matthew was in the worst category, just so you know. There were those who collected taxes in general, such as those on land and property and on income. Next, there were the ones who held the franchise from Rome that allowed them to collect a wide variety of taxes, including importing duties, toll fees, business taxes, that kind of thing. And they even had the right to open people's letters to see if there were anything to do with business and anything they could tax them on. But they were protected by their reputation to some degree by hiring other people, with which Matthew falls into this category, to do their dirty business. You see, Matthew was one of the most despised tax collectors that there was. They brought their own people under Roman control, did tax collectors. They stole shed loads of money in the process. And it was one of those despised men that Jesus said, follow me to. Proof in action that Jesus extended his forgiveness to even the worst outcasts of society. Matthew was getting rich of the misery of his own people. And why on earth would Jesus talk to anyone like that? Never mind, ask him to follow him and be part of his disciples. What on earth was Jesus thinking? But of course, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He didn't label the people the way that other people did, or indeed the way people do today. So that leaves Matthew's response. What would he do? Well, we all know what he did, so it's a bit of a daft question. But just think a minute about what Matthew had to lose. Matthew was quite a happy chap with his life, I imagine. Probably didn't like the fact that people didn't like him, but apart from that, um, he was quite rich. He got along nicely. People were always going to have to pay taxes, so he was always going to be well-to-do. And he was in control of his life. He could pretty much do what he wanted, when he wanted. And he had it quite okay, really. People like I said, always had to pay taxes, so he's going to live a comfortable life for many years to come. And here was Jesus asking him to follow him, calling him to a new life, where Matthew wouldn't be calling the shots anymore, but Jesus would be. And that's a risky decision. He could stick with what he knows and stay with what he's comfortable with, or leave it all to follow Jesus. There's no guarantee of the kind of future he would have following Jesus, apart from the fact that it would no doubt be different to what he'd already planned. Out of everybody, Matthew had, well, he was one of the ones who had the most to lose. You see, if he chose to follow Jesus, he couldn't return to his job because someone else would have already taken it. He knew the cost when he chose to follow Jesus and he didn't show any regret. There's only one guarantee for followers of Jesus if you follow Jesus, the one thing you'll get is Jesus. And that's what Matthew chose, or rather who he chose. He simply got up and he followed him. 
Matthew gave up everything he had simply to follow Jesus because he wanted to be with Jesus enough to change his whole life about. Now, it's interesting that in some Gospels, this same disciple, Matthew, is referred to as Levi. Um, in two other Gospels, it's, it's referred to as Levi. But they are the same person. Apparently, one of those names is Greek and the other one is Hebrew. <clears throat> but I never did that kind of thing at uni because I'm rubbish at languages. But <laughs> let's, for a minute, think about the name Levi. So I'm told it comes from the tribe of the priests of the Old Testament. And when he was given this name, it would probably mean that one day they would hope he would become a Levite, who was a priest. Now, priests were those who communicated with God and with people. They were God's go-betweens, as it were. They were the ones who represented God and brought people under God's influence. But we know that didn't happen with Levi. Instead of being God's representative, he became a Roman representative. He'd been greedy, he wanted more and more, and then more and more yet. And he chose to sin. He had choices, and he made the total, his choices rather, made him the total opposite of what he had originally intended to be. But when he chose to follow Jesus, all of that changed. He ate with Jesus, and we're told that other people came to eat too. Tax collectors and sinners, to be precise. They all came to meet with Jesus. And since Matthew was kind of excluded from Jewish society, the only people who would have come to eat with him would have been other people who were also social outcasts. Other tax collectors, prostitutes, criminals of all descriptions. And Matthew then was the person he was meant to be. Someone bringing people under God's influence, which is exactly what he did here. Matthew had met with Jesus and his whole life could never be the same again. And it was the same with us. When we choose to follow Jesus, our lives can never be the same again. We'll become more and more the people that God intended us to be. But let's look at the next bit, verses 11 to 13 say, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call the right, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Of course, the Pharisees were never going to be happy with Jesus and what he did. We can pretty much assume that. That's pretty much a given. They were too superior and they were too religious. They were holier holier than thou types. And they'll have been looking on, seeing what Jesus was doing, seeing that he was associating with the wrong types of people, people he shouldn't be seen dead with. And so they asked his disciples, why does he do that? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But as we heard, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And let's think about that for a moment. It makes sense, doesn't it? You don't go to the doctors if you're not, well, if you're not not well, if you're fine, do you? Now, I don't do going to doctors. I only ever see a doctor if I really, really need one. Like, really. And why is that? Well, partly for me, because I'm scared of them, but simply because the same reason why loads of other people don't go to see the doctor for fun. Because you only need them when you're sick. 
I don't think I've ever met a doctor who would thank you for popping along to see them just to show them how healthy they are. You wouldn't really appreciate that, would you? <laughs> no. See, they wouldn't be impressed. They'd probably just be really annoyed at you for wasting their time. It'd be quite frustrating for them. Equally frustrating are the kind of people who actually are sick but refuse to acknowledge it and won't go to the doctors even though they clearly need to. I'm sure we all know people like that. They're clearly unwell but refuse to do anything about it. They insist that they're okay, that everything will be fine. They clearly need a doctor, but they never go. You see, only people who recognise they're sick will go to the doctors. We Here, we have the Pharisees, who are spiritually sick, with self-righteousness and all sorts of other things, yet they see themselves as perfectly healthy. They don't recognise that they are sick, that they are in need of Jesus. They needed Jesus, like the sick need a doctor, but they wouldn't admit it. Matthew and so many others knew they were sick, and they knew that they needed Jesus. You see, doctors are for sick people, just as Jesus is for sinners. Only for sinners, which is good news and it's bad news. Good news if, like Matthew, you're willing to accept that we're not perfect and we sin from time to time. Bad news if you don't. But let's think about that for a minute. What is a sinner? Well, let's compare it to sickness. So often there are signs and symptoms of an illness, but the actual problem is underlying, and the things we see are just an effect. And that's what sin is like. The bad stuff we do, that's like the symptoms. The problem goes much deeper. And my sins will look different to your sins. My sickness might show itself in different ways to yours, but we're all sinners underneath. Matthew's sickness, his sins, were obvious. He was a tax collector. You can't get much more obvious than that in that day and age. But the problem with our sickness is this. We can't cure ourselves. We need a doctor. We need Jesus to free us from what's holding us back. We need Jesus because in one way or another we're all sinners. And Jesus came for sinners. He didn't come for the righteous, however much they might think he did. He came for sinners. If you notice when he's gathering his disciples, he doesn't search the synagogues for the most holy people. He doesn't look for the religious elite. He doesn't look for religious devotion. Instead, he's there looking for those who are sick. A doctor can't help you if you reckon that you're well. And in the same way, Jesus can't help you if you claim to be righteous. You have to acknowledge that you need Jesus, because Jesus is for sinners. So I wonder, what do you make of Jesus? Are we part of a religious elite who don't understand why Jesus is talking to such a low life? Or do we recognise that we're not perfect and that we all sin from time to time, and that he might be calling us to follow him anyway? You see, sometimes we just need to stop kidding ourselves. We need to admit that we're not perfect, that we've not got it all together, that we do in fact mess up from time to time. We need to admit that we are in fact sinners. Not a sinner but trying ever so hard or a sinner but not as bad as him over there. Just a sinner and that's who Jesus came for. So let's admit that and accept God's grace and mercy through Jesus. Accept that like Matthew, he invites us to follow him. 
But let's do that knowing that that will mean change. You were talking about change earlier, Rosemary, and when we do decide to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it means change. Just like Matthew went from being in total control of his own life, being in total control of everything he did, to letting Jesus be in control, well, we need to do the same. We need to be willing to get up immediately and follow Jesus, no matter what that means and where that will take us. And you know what? This links with the last few verses of that passage that we heard earlier. Verses 16 to 17 of Matthew 9 say, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making it worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. Nor they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So let's consider that first bit about the unshrunk cloth and an old garment. It's a simple point that he makes. If you've got something that's got a hole in it, you can't put new material on it without causing the old stuff to tear. Because why is that? Well, the new material will shrink with washing, and so it will tear the seams of the new one. Essentially, that's saying that Jesus' new way of doing things doesn't fit within how the uh, the Pharisees were doing things. Jesus' message was new, and we couldn't fit it into the old way of things. And verse 17 about the new and old wineskins, well, wine was stored in wineskins, which were made from leather pouches, As time passed, the leather became stiff and brittle and dry. And if you put new wine in them, then the old wineskins would split and burst. And that's because in the process of making wine, it would be put into the wineskins for storage after aging for about a week. It would then continue to ferment. A new skin would be supple and it would be pliable and it would easily expand under the pressure as the fermentation continued. Fully fermented wine or water or anything like that could be put into old wineskins. But new wine, new wine had to go into new wineskins. So what's the point of all that, apart from the fact you now know about wineskins? Well, none of us like to give up something familiar or something that we're comfortable with. This is even more so when the something that we're giving up is so beneficial to us. So what we tend to try and do is fit the new thing around old things in our lives. The point Jesus makes here is the new life that Jesus brings can't be made to fit into the old way of doing things. His forgiveness through grace cannot fit into the old sacrificial systems of the day that people were focusing on. His forgiveness is through grace only. And that we couldn't fit it into the old way of doing things because that would be destructive to both the old and the new. And in the same way, when we choose to follow Jesus, every part of our lives, well, then our way of doing things should change too. Matthew left the whole of his life behind to follow Jesus. He committed totally to him. That's the cost of following Jesus. He requires total commitment from us. What Jesus brings is new, it's fresh, it'll rip apart anything that tries to force it into another way of doing. But Jesus took a despised tax collector and turned him into someone who was able to offer hope 
to others. He was able to reach out to social outcasts. He gave him an entirely new future, and he offers us the same. He calls each one of us to totally, wholeheartedly, unreservedly, and utterly follow him. Now, to help us think about that and perhaps respond to that in some way, Debbie and I are going to read some words of a short reflection. So I just want you to, well, you can look wherever you want, you can close your eyes if you want, and just listen to these words. Lord, I had no idea that you might meet me. I have heard how you called others, but I never expected you would call me. I have read how you called people like Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, and the prophets, but I did not think you would speak my name. But you have spoken, and I'm trying to listen and respond. Lord, I had assumed that when you called, it would be in a clear, unmistakable voice. I hope that if a call to serve ever came, there'd be no doubt or uncertainty. Those who spoke of your call always seemed so definite, but your voice to me seems only a faint whisper, an echo that I strain to understand. Lord, I knew that you called the most unlikely of men and women to serve you in the most unlikely of ways. But my gifts are so few. I feel so unworthy and extremely uncertain. Can you really mean me? Surely, Lord, this time you're making a big mistake. But your challenge rejects all my excuses, and your promise to equip me gives me hope. Lord, I don't really want to be called. But then you already knew that when you um, touched my heart and my mind. You know I'd have my reasons to just say no and that they'd be fully primed for use. I'm quite comfortable as I am and where I am. I don't want to change or be changed. But neither can I ignore you, nor can I ever be at peace until I let you disturb me. And I say, however weakly, yes, Lord, yes. Oh Lord, I say yes. Yes, not really knowing what my yes means. Yes, knowing I must trust you in a way I've never trusted you before. Yes, not knowing the cost or what will be demanded of me or even where it will lead. Yes, knowing that I'm saying yes to the one who in Christ always says yes to me. Yes, Lord, here I am. You can call even me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you call each and every one of us to follow you. We know that following you means change, but we know that that change is for good. So Lord, we commit ourselves to being your disciples. Show us the ways in which we need to become more and more like you. And Lord, we bring ourselves and we say that we're open to be changed by you. Amen.